As James um, spoke last week, um, we felt, as an eldership team, at the beginning of this year, God interrupt us. Felt God speak to us prophetically. Felt God say to us, I don't want you to do what you were planning to do, but to do something different. And I think when God speaks to us like this, it's very encouraging, but also gives us real confidence to know that God is going to speak to us as a people, individually and corporately. We just felt that God was saying, 2020, I have to get used to this because it's 2020, and I find it difficult to say, 2020, um, this year would be a year of real breakthrough. And it's not just like some snazzy title that you come up with because it's the beginning of the year. We really felt that for many of us, this would be a year of breakthrough. I want you to notice the word year. Uh, it doesn't run out when we get to February because we finished this series. But the expectation is that many of us in May, June, July, August, September will still be seeing tremendous breakthroughs. Maybe things that now we'd like to see a breakthrough, we're not going to see it till later on in the year because part of the whole package is learning how to persevere until we see God break through in wonderful ways. Today, I'm going to preach a sermon almost entirely exactly the same as James last week. It won't be the same, I assure you, but we felt that we wanted to give you a right punch and a left one. Two Sundays, bang, bang. And so what I want to do this morning is just to set the scene again. On what basis do any of us here today think that we could see a breakthrough of any kind? On what basis do we think we can overcome obstacles? On what basis can we stand here today and say, we believe that in areas of defeat, we're going to see victory happen this year? Well, I can assure you it's not on the basis of you or me. It's not on our endeavor and hard work that we could say any of those things. But it is based on the victory that we have in Jesus. Every breakthrough, every victory, every area of overcoming that any of us see this year will be purely because of what he has done for us already. So I just want to spend a few moments reminding ourselves this morning. I've entitled this, Victory is in Jesus. It's the victory that there is in Christ. And I want to start by uh, turning to this verse in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. And these scriptures will come behind me, but not all of them. I have to warn the guys at the back because I've added a few more in early this morning. But 1 John 3 verse 8 um, says this, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now the context of this is to do with temptation and sin. And basically this verse is saying everybody that's ever lived has always given into temptation, which has always resulted in us sinning. The first place of victory for us is to understand that Jesus is the only man that's ever lived on this planet who never once gave in to temptation and therefore never sinned. <clears throat> if I am going to overcome temptation and the result of temptation being sin, 
It won't be through my self-effort. I can't do it. It says here, from the beginning, we've made a practice of sinning because that's the nature that we have in our very being. But then it says Jesus has come. Why has Jesus come? Well, one of the reasons is to destroy the works, the power of the devil. They say, well, Jesus has come to save us from our sins. Yes, Jesus has come to give us a relationship with God again because we were not able to be in his presence and now through his blood on the cross we're made holy so we've now got a relationship with God as our heavenly father. Yes, Jesus came to rescue us, to redeem us, to change us. All true. But one of the things that Jesus came to do which we don't often talk about was to destroy something. It was to destroy the very power of the enemy. So the first picture we get of Jesus as a victor, as a winner, as an overcomer, is in the way he lived his life. You see, until now, no man has overcome sin. Jesus destroys the work of the devil by simply not yielding to temptation and therefore not sinning. I want to really emphasize this this morning. I think some of us think that when it comes to the cross, Jesus at that moment became the sacrifice that overcame our sin. I want you to know that before Jesus came to the cross, throughout his life, he is constantly overcoming. He is constantly living a life. It's not that that at the cross suddenly he wins this victory, It's that he's been winning this victory on our behalf throughout the entirety of his life. So, for example, and you can read all about it in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is in the wilderness and the devil, after 40 days of prayer and fasting, comes to tempt him. I mean, many of us know this story. And the devil knew exactly the potential weak areas of Jesus He knew potentially how he could, one of them was he was obviously going to be hungry, therefore why don't you turn these stones into bread? On each occasion, Jesus overcame that temptation. On each occasion, he spoke to the devil and said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He never once gave in to the temptation, which meant that he did not sin, so he overcame that temptation. And then there's this little verse in Matthew 4 where it says, And so the devil left him, walked away. It wasn't Jesus who was defeated, it was the devil who was defeated because he was trying to tempt Jesus to cause him to sin. What you need to understand was it wasn't that the devil left him and never came back to him again. Every day of his life, Jesus was tempted. And every day he overcame that temptation. And every day, therefore, he lived a sinless life. It's important for us to understand. I was, as, as, a, as a young Christian, I used to think, well, it was easy for Jesus because he was the son of God when it came to temptation. Of course, he could overcome. And then, of course, you realize that he became fully man. He overcame temptation just in the same way as you and I would overcome temptation. He wasn't cheating. He didn't have some secret extra boost. He faced it like you and I had to face it. And each time, he did not give in. So Hebrews chapter 2 And verse 18, for because he himself has suffered, when tempted, he is able to help those 
<coughs> who are being tempted. Hands up if you are ever being tempted by anything. I mean, every hand needs to go up. Thank you very much. That was the correct response. Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, comma, look, yet without sin. It's important to understand that temptation is not sin. They are two different things. It is when we, we give in to temptation that we begin to sin. If you've started this year with a New Year's resolution, I am going to lose weight. Anybody? No, I'm not supposed to say that. If you want to lose weight this year, I can guarantee it. Some, or during these 21 days of prayer and fasting, I guarantee that some of you are going to have visions of chocolate eclairs and all kinds of things. Now, to have the temptation of a chocolate eclair is neither here nor there. It's when you have that thought, and then a few moments later, you cross the road and go into the baker's and you order one, that you're in trouble. Temptation and sin are two different things. Jesus was tempted in every way. Now, I think this is really important. If you want victory, if you want to overcome this year, you have to understand that in every way that you are tempted, Jesus was already tempted. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? And in every moment, he overcame that temptation. He was victorious in the life that he lived. He was a winner. He was an overcomer. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, you've heard this before, but how come Jesus rose from the dead? Well, the Bible says the wages of sin or the penalty, the wages of sin is death. We've just seen that Jesus never came in, gave in to temptation, so for, therefore he never sinned, so he didn't have a penalty. So the, 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 the answer to the penalty was death. It couldn't hold him because he had no wages. There was nothing to pay. Every day of his life, he'd overcome temptation. He'd been a winner in victory all this time. And as he approaches the cross, as I said before, and becomes this perfect act sacrifice. It didn't happen the day before the cross. I want to emphasize, this is so important for some of us, in the potential weakness, in the potential temptation, the potential moments on his own, every single moment he overcame. You and I, we are followers of Jesus. Do you think followers of Jesus should stay in constant defeat? Or do you think that we should start to live in the same victory that Jesus won for us. How can I know victory in this life? How can I overcome temptation and therefore not sin? Can I overcome every lie of the enemy? Have I, can I have the power to overcome every addiction, every habit, every thought that comes my way that I know is wrong? Can I really overcome those things? The answer is yes. But it's not in your strength. The answer is yes, and yes in Jesus alone. His victory can now become your victory. If you live in his power, you also can overcome temptation, and you can also live a life that doesn't give in to sin. I think Jesus faced a real battle. It wasn't pretending. And every time he faced the battle, he won. Hallelujah. And he won so that you and I could win. He overcame so that you and I could be overcomers. And when we are followers of Jesus, 
We read statements like this in 1 John 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You have someone in you that's greater than every temptation that comes your way. You have someone in you who has the power to overcome every thought, every addiction, every habit, every hidden thing that no one else sees. He has the power to overcome them and greater is he that's in you than all the powers that come at you in the world. I think sometimes we can feel, well, if only you knew the temptation I was under, as if there's something about you that's not able to overcome it. It's not about you. There's no temptation ever experienced that others haven't experienced, that Jesus hasn't experienced, and he's won the victory. You say, well, what's all this got to do with a year of breakthrough? This is everything to do with it. Because if you and I can see breakthrough this year in overcoming all sorts of things that we know are defeating us at the moment, here's the heart of it. Jesus walked on this earth and he set us the example and he did it. And when we live in him and his power, we have the power to do the same thing. Romans 8, 37 no, in all these things, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Just incidentally to say this, a conqueror is someone who fights a battle and wins. More than conqueror is someone who fights a battle that he cannot lose. And that's what God has put in you and in me. There are battles that we are facing, some of us in this room today, and we're kind of losing ground and being defeated, but God's intention is that we should <coughs> overcome those things and see great victory. I just wanted to read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's not going to come up on the screen, so if you've got a Bible, guess what? You're going to have to turn to it. But this is important. Very quickly, no temptation has overcome you, says Paul, that is not common to man. <coughs> what that means is that there's no one in this room today that's going through a time of temptation and you're the only person on this planet that's ever been tempted in that way. The, the, the day I realised that I wasn't the only Christian that goes through this certain kind of temptation, it was just a great revelation. When I realised that people who I looked up to in God as mighty men or women of God went through exactly the same temptations as me, I thought, wow, there's a chance for me as well. Another way to translate that verse is, no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man in terms of Jesus the son of man. In other words, Jesus went, everything you are tempted in, he was tempted as well. Look at this. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now that's not your mustering up, you know, by the gritting of your teeth you'll get through. That is, as we've been saying, the power of God in us gives us the ability to overcome. There's nothing too great for God. There's nothing beyond him, not one single thing. I, I remember years ago counselling a guy who had really got into some sinful situation. He said, well, I just, don't, I just I get overwhelmed. I just can't help myself. And it's kind of like, if that's true, then I don't have a chance either. It's not that, oh, I'm just at the whim of every, I can't, you know, just the devil's too great and sin's too great. And I'm sorry, I just can't help myself. I just fall into this trap. No, you can help yourself because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. As we heard in our worship, the power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in you. And so if you live in that power, this is, you keep saying the same phrase, if, 
you live in that power, which is a choice that you have to make or you can make, then it'll begin to work its way out. Still in this verse, there's so much in this verse, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. How true that is. How true that is in, in your life. Yeah, a little voice tempts you. Have you noticed as a Christian, there's another voice that says, don't do this. There's your way of escape. If you then give in to the temptation, you're then defeated. Jesus was tempted and he heard the voice of God, don't, don't do this. And he overcame and you and I can do exactly the same. I love this verse in Galatians 2 verse 20. It's one of my favourite verses. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I, I, this big ego, has been crucified. And then it goes on in this verse to say, yet the life I do live in the flesh. It's kind of like egos died, but I'm still here. Have you noticed? So every day I choose. Look at that verse. I choose to live in the power of Jesus. I choose to live by faith in the Son of God who is within me. You can be an overcomer. You can see great victories. You can be more than a conqueror. These aren't little songs we sing on Sunday mornings. This is reality for you and me. It can be your daily experience in 2020. And you can get through the whole of this year seeing victory after victory after victory because of the power that Jesus has for you. And I want to emphasize this because of the way he lived his life. Okay, so Jesus was victor every day of his life over the enemy. Then we come to his death. And the fantastic news is this. Jesus wasn't only victorious in his daily life. He was victorious when it came to his death. For the cross is not about loss. It is about gain. It is about victory and not about deceit. <clears throat> it's not about defeat. <clears throat> Can I just emphasize this to you? The cross does deal with, forgive, with sin in that the blood of Jesus can forgive us for our sins. But the cross also represents victory in that sin is not only forgiven, but it is eradicated. It is annihilated. When you put your faith in the blood of Jesus, not only are you forgiven, which is absolutely wonderful, you need to know that that moment of repentance, your sin is wiped away. As far as the east is from the west, his transgressions have been removed from us, eradicated, finished, turned away forever. Hallelujah. Which is why we come and work with, we can't hardly believe it, can we? We've got a clean slate every time we come. <clears throat> because he's forgiven, but he's also chosen to remember our sins no more. For this purpose, Christ was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. He did it in his daily life, and here at the cross, that moment of supposed defeat, he does exactly the same thing. Sin has power. But at the cross, the power of that sin is removed. Now, James quoted this verse last week, so I'm not going to go over this in <clears throat> detail, but I do want to come back to it again. This wonderful verse in Colossians chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 13. And you who were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. That came through our our worship again and again and again this morning. Hear this. God made you alive in him and having forgiven all our trespasses by cancelling 
the record of debt, removing, annihilating everything that we had done that was wrong, that stood against us with its legal demands. You are guilty, you are guilty, you are guilty. At that moment of believing in the cross, your sins forgiven, but they're also removed. So there's no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus. He has set them aside. He's cancelled the debt. Do I hear anybody in the room slightly, um, in an English kind of way, excited? All those legal demands that stood against us, wiped away. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Look at this amazing phrase. He disarmed. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. The cross wasn't a place of defeat by triumphing over them in him. At that moment on the cross, he is disarming the power of sin. I love the word disarmed. It's like the the enemy has a voice, but he doesn't really have a voice. He has fiery darts, but they bounce off. He has accusations. The Bible says no weapon formed against you will stand. It's kind of like he's still got the armory, but he's really disarmed. He he is lost and he knows it. And we have to understand that through the cross, Jesus is a victor. Because at that moment, it's like on the cross, the power of the devil is, is stripped away. He no longer has dominion over you. The Bible talks about us being slaves to righteousness now, where once we were slaves to sin. The Bible says sin has no more mastery over you. It doesn't have, it may shout at you, it may tempt you, but it doesn't have teeth. It doesn't have the power anymore. It no longer needs to rule your life. Every accusation, every fiery dart, Every weapon formed against you, every lie of the enemy, it's kind of like the armor is still there, but it has no authority because at the cross, Jesus disarmed the enemy's power. Jesus has already defeated the enemy. He wants you and me to live in him so that in 2020, we begin to see great victories happen as a result of understanding this has no power. This has no authority. These are just lies. They are not truth that sets me free. Thirdly, if you're following, (laughs) it's in his life, it's in his death, and then thirdly, it's in his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 the last enemy. He's overcome temptation. He's overcome the powers of darkness on the cross. And then the Bible just throws this in. There's there's one more enemy yet to overcome because Jesus overcomes everything, right? He either has overcome everything or he hasn't overcome anything. And the last enemy, the Bible says, is death. And the resurrection is the victorious moment when Jesus deals with the final enemy, which is death itself. Jesus is alive. Even death has no hold over him whatsoever. When Jesus dies on the cross and is raised three days later from the dead, this says to me that if he has overcome death, there is absolutely nothing left that could possibly have dominion over my life. 
every issue that I'm facing and I will face this year. There is nothing that Jesus did that did not overcome all those things and that includes death itself. If you are a believer in Jesus this morning, when you die, you know that death will not have dominion over you. Not because of you, but because of the fact of the resurrection. This Jesus, this victor who overcame temptation, overcame the powers of darkness on the cross, now kills the last enemy of all, which is death itself, and is raised from the dead and signifies to you and me, if we believe in him, the moment we die, we shall be with him. The promise is eternal life forevermore. You will know death, but you will not taste the sting of death. We will die, but we shall agree with Scripture when it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. We've just been talking about it. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is one. Why does he just woke up at that moment? He is one. You and I need to know this. And please, just in passing, we need to understand that as Christians, we need not fear death. As Christians, death is not defeat. Bible says there comes a moment we were swallowed up by life. This isn't life. This is cardboard. 70 years, less for some, more for others. A fleeting vapor. Real life is about to swallow you up. Because the moment you die, you go to be with him forever. And, and I understand if I was not a believer why I would fear death, terrified. I mean, the, the philosophy of the world today is there's nothing to be frightened of because there's nothing beyond it. I don't believe people approach death like that. Because Bible, the verse in the Bible says, God has put eternity in the hearts of men. This is kind of knowing that there's something beyond the grave. And so we have to understand that there's, for the believer particularly, we should not fear death, for we already know that we will be with him forever. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, talking of Jesus again, it says of him, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things. This is why Jesus came, to live a life where he overcame temptation, to live a life that's an example to us, to take on everything that we have upon himself, to show us by example, and then that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and look at this, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You don't need to fear death anymore. If you're a believer in Jesus, the power of death, the fear of death, the slavery of the fear of what might be like. Now one day I'm not going to be standing on this platform because I will have died. And at that moment of death, you, 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 I mean maybe one or two will I don't know, maybe one or two will cry a little bit, but there is a sense of rejoicing because I've not been swallowed up by this chasm of death, but swallowed up by life. 
No fear. Finally, Jesus not only overcomes through life, through death, through resurrection. And this is something that Christians sometimes forget about. But then the Bible talks about him being ascended on high and seated at the right hand of God. And for those of you that don't know, that seat at the right hand of God is a symbol of authority for the rest of time. There is a seat in heaven. There's only one person that can sit on it. And it's the one who emptied himself, it says in Philippians 2, and became like us. Therefore God has highly exalted him to the highest place. And this Jesus now is reigning. The reason that you and I can have victory in 2020 is not because he once won a victory. It's not because it's all past history. But this present moment, as we live and breathe, Jesus is sat down at the right hand of the Father, signifying all authority in 2020, all power, everything that can be overcome has been overcome by me. Every time I wake up in the morning and look up and think, where is Jesus? What do I think? What do I see? I see victory. I see past, present, and future. Victory. Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. How can he say that? Because he sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. There is nothing in this world right now that has greater authority than the Jesus that you and I have come to see and known in glory. Ephesians chapter 1 Um, And verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and dominion and power and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he will put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. This is a God who's in control, who's in charge of everything right now where we are. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the power, by the word of his power and making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand on the majesty on high. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 11 talking about all the priests who stand daily to offer sacrifices because they had to keep on repeating it. It then says in verse 12, but when Christ had offered For all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's in victory. He's in complete control. He's far above every name that can be named. The outcome of everything is established forever. Victory. This is what Jesus has done for you and me. This is the amazing victory that he has. The lamb has overcome. So is that it? Is that the end of the story? A historical act. An amazing theological truth that we sing about occasionally on Sundays. Or is the result of everything we've looked at this morning supposed to have a massive impact upon your daily life? Is it not supposed to galvanize the church corporately? To not be people who are on the back foot, but understand we have confidence in our praying, in our faith, in our believing God, because he is with us who's won all these victories. He's fighting our battles. 
And we need to believe that this isn't some nice theological truth that we've all heard this morning. We park over here, just like James was doing last week. And just like James did again, I want to do the same. And encourage you that because of that, this is meant to be a living reality. A victory that's lived out in so many ways in every day of our life. It is God's intention that his victory should now become your victory. It is God's intention that he will give you all that you and I need to continue the victory that he's won for us. The basis of our breakthrough, overcoming, seeing amazing things happen individually and corporately 2020 will all be because of this amazing victory that he's won and because he's alive and he wants us to live in this victory today. We need to understand that we cannot do these things in our own strength, but that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He's alive. He wants to fill you, as we heard this morning worship, with the power of his Holy Spirit. He wants you and me to have minds that are renewed so we get victory over the lies of the enemy. He wants to give us this power today, this day in January, to overcome all of our past, all the baggage that we bring with us into the kingdom of God, anything we're captive to, any sickness that is not, that is of the devil, all of these things, God wants us to know victory today. See, if God is for us, who can be against us? What name? What power? What authority? There isn't any, because he's disarmed all those powers already. I want to close with this, just two real quick practical things. Um, and I'm not going to spend time on this because uh, we're going to hopefully be looking at this over the next few weeks. It's the joy of doing this series and during the prayer and fasting, we need to come back to these things again and again. But two things quickly in passing that I hope we'll mention throughout the year, actually. The first is this. We still have an enemy that we need to overcome. And although Jesus has disarmed the enemy disarmed his armory, if you like, even though he is defeated and he knows that, he's still here and he's still thrashing around in the throes of defeat, in anger. He's real and the battle is still real. The outcome is assured, hallelujah, but there's still battles that need to be fought individually and corporately by us as a church community. One little example of this, obviously, is the mind. The Bible is very clear that our minds can be filled with lies and are filled with lies. It's one of the most, it's the entry point of the devil to start getting you to think wrong. So it's an example of the fact that though Jesus has won, the battle continues because there's this little verse in the Bible that says, Take every thought captive. Well, that's a strange verse. We need to look at that a little bit more detail. It's kind of like he's won the victory, but then says, take every thought captive for Christ. It means that my mind is still being filled with all sorts of lies from the enemy. The way I counteract those lies is not through self-effort or shouting at the mirror. It comes through the word of God getting into my mind so much that when the lies come, they're diffused. But it's an ongoing thing. I've been spending most of my Christian life trying to have my mind renewed. It's important. There are principalities and powers. The Bible talks about schemes that the enemy has. The Bible talks about things that we should do. We should wrestle. We should struggle. We should not be ignorant. We should put on the armor of God. 
1 Peter chapter 5, which we know says, Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Notice there are things that you and I are meant to do, it doesn't happen by magic. And I would say this on this verse if you're not sober minded as a Christian, if you're not watchful, if you're not resisting and standing firm in your faith, guess what? You get clobbered. Some of us are clobbered by the enemy. The breakthrough that we need to see is applying the victory that Jesus has won in those areas and no longer being clobbered because we get sober-minded, we get watchful. Look at this, James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. He will flee if you submit yourself to God and you resist him. These are real words. Listen, I'm almost finished. The enemy may have lost the battle and he knows he has, but he's determined to make every Christian as ineffective as possible. And one of the ways he makes us ineffective is by causing us to know defeat in our lives and we know we shouldn't be defeated in those areas. He wants to deliver us from this. 2020, a year of breakthrough, yes, as we learn some of us to overcome the lies and schemes of the enemy and see great breakthrough. And the second thing just to touch on, which we'll come back to in a few weeks' time, is the whole issue of perseverance. I think sometimes I am defeated because I give in to the lies of the enemy. I'm not fighting, I'm not watchful, I'm giving space. I'm sure that another area is this. There are certain things in my life which I need to endure and persevere and keep believing God for until I see those things come to pass. I live in a world and a society where perseverance and endurance are not songs that we sing a lot about. I live in a world where we give up very easily. I live in a world where if it's not immediate, we don't know how to press on. It's our Western tendency not to be patient. Passivity, too much effort. And so for me in 2019, there are about 20, no, in 2019, the last year that's just gone, thank you so much, but 2019 comes before 2020. So in 2019, for me was a year where sometimes I felt I really did endure well. Had some things I needed to endure. Some things I needed to really kind of get to grips with. And there are other moments when I just was a bit pathetic, to be honest. I just gave up. I just, did, I just stopped praying. I just thought I couldn't be bothered. I felt so sorry for myself. I just gave in. Guess what? Nothing happened as a result of that either. So for 2020, for me and people like me, there's a bit of action that needs to come. We need to pray. We need to fast. We need to have faith. And we need to refuse to give up. It says in Isaiah 62. Can you just stick this up for me please? If it comes. Anyway. Isaiah 62. Have a go. Hello. Bonjour. Cher. Kitu. Jean. Cheryl. First time here? It says that God has put watchmen on his walls. And it says that these watchmen are praying throughout 2020, if you like. And it's just this lovely little phrase. It says, and we will give ourselves no rest. And we will give God no rest. Until, that's a phrase we need to come back to again. Until we see the breakthrough that God is going to bring. Let's stand to our feet.
If you're someone here today that's not a Christian, I want to just say to you that if you know in your life you are facing things that are constantly causing you to be defeated and uh, you can't break free from the power of things, we want to introduce you today to the one person, Jesus, who can bring you great victory in all areas of your life. And if you are a believer here today, please, my plead for you on the basis of the victory that Jesus has won, that you do not settle for anything less than victory in your life. Don't give up. Don't accommodate things. It's time to pray and exercise faith and fight battles for the glory of God.